there will be a gazillion stories about the person who puts a piece of code up and then the next day is offered a billion dollars. God bless yeah. them. I hope the best for them. For the vast majority, 99.999% of us, the only real path to any type of success is putting in the work over a long period of time and staying focused directionally on the opportunity. Welcome to the Cashing Out Podcast, where our fellow founders share real stories and offer honest advice around selling their companies to some of the top acquirers in the world. My name is Todd Sullivan, CEO of ExitWise, where we help business owners create the exits they deserve. Today, my guest is AJ Lawrence, a self-proclaimed journeyman entrepreneur with multiple exits under his belt. AJ sold his first web development business to an ad agency a few years out of college. He then moved into IT hardware and sold his Wi-Fi router business to his main hardware supplier. AJ capped it off in 2021 by building and selling a multi-million dollar digital ad agency, which made the Inc. 500 twice. Today, AJ is a student of the entrepreneurial mindset. Given his success, he is intent on better understanding what makes founders succeed and fail. To this end, AJ acquired the Beyond Eight Figures podcast to explore and share what makes entrepreneurs tick and how we can all improve our skill sets through the experiences of our fellow founders. In today's discussion, AJ and I discuss how his companies were valued by strategic acquirers, his understanding of why terms are more important than price in an M&A transaction, and the value of family support when building and selling a business. I hope you enjoy my conversation with AJ Lawrence. Hey everyone, before we get started, I want to tell you about another podcast I've been listening to lately. It's called Startup Savant, and it's put together by some friends of mine over at Truick. Now, similar to our podcast, Startup Savant is set out to better educate and support fellow founders in their startup journeys, but they do it by highlighting the day-to-day -day struggles and triumphs of current-day entrepreneurs. And then they offer useful tools and topics to help level up business owners in any phase of their journey. Now, I've listened to tons of these episodes, but personally, I recommend episode 53 with Adam Nash. Adam is a super interesting guy. He shares stories about his time at LinkedIn with Reid Hoffman. He has great experience working in venture capital, and he talks about his new mission to enable more generous giving at his new company, Daffy. It's really a great episode. Once you finish listening to us, check out Startup Savant. We'll put the link in the show notes. AJ, thank you so much for being here today. I was actually thinking about it over the weekend and really excited to have this conversation because I honestly, I feel a certain kinship to you, not even knowing you based on your background of selling multiple companies and just kind of finding your way through this entrepreneurial path. And when you found a level of success, you know, it seems like you're really an, a student of the entrepreneurial game and want to give back to your fellow founders uh, now through a podcast, right? Which yes. we're doing a lot of as well. So, yeah, yeah. So I'm uh, thankful, really thankful that you're here today. And, and you know, just so you know, Mark Cuban had this spot, but when you took it, I was like, I had no problem bumping him. So uh, yeah. thank you for being here. Yeah, I know. Mark Cuban is just that. Yeah, yeah. that guy. Um, wait, thank you so much. I really, I like listening to your show just from the more concrete around the exit. I have jokingly said everything I've attempted to do as an entrepreneur, I failed at, but because of them, because, however you want to define it, and I'm still. I have actually succeeded in doing it. So when I got reached out and I was like, I know the show. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm that good because all my exits have also been failures. Like just the one I always joke is I was 23 when I started an internet research firm back in the early 90s, literally before the web was the common type of interface for the internet. And when HTML kind of hit, I had taught myself HTML. I couldn't get any clients for this research I was doing. And someone said, how did you get a web page, this website? It's like, oh, I built it. Literally, that person told like a gazillion other people that I built websites. And we had a million dollar business right off the bat. But 
I had no idea what I was doing in any shape or form other than how to build websites. Yeah. <laughs> and one of our largest clients that was basically taking our work and doubling up to their larger corporate clients offered to buy us. I knew nothing. I just loved the idea that they said they were going to give me a million dollar of their stock. No clue. <laughs> Did no due diligence. They even encouraged me. Oh, work with our lawyer. That way it'll save you some money. Don't tell anyone because you want to keep this a secret. Yeah. Red flags. But long story, uh, literally the moment after I signed and they took my working capital, they declared oh. bankruptcy within oh. like a month. So I lost a couple of hundred K, uh, <laughs> plus the company and everything. So it's like, yeah, my first exit at 25 was, um, special. So I done slightly better each time, but that's direct. Really my exits have been these things. So after I sold my last company, which was sort of under duress, but I got very lucky because it ended up being a mid seven figure asset sell. Even if I did do seller financing, I realized I hadn't learned anything as I was starting to hear other people's stories. So I started researching and talking with people about how to create systems, how to learn from it. And then um, during COVID, I literally bought a podcast because yeah. I never knew if we were going to be able to travel again. I was like, okay. So I bought a podcast beyond eight figures for a Bitcoin that the previous host was sort of winding down. And I was just like, I like this topic. I love talking to entrepreneurs, but I want to go a little differently. And I've used that to learn. Yeah. Like, Todd, I'm going to have you come on the show and we'll, we'll talk about how to prepare for exits instead of just listening to my mistakes around my exits. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I, I, would, I would love to do it. I think, um, you know, as, as I started, right, I think we have a lot in common in that, you know, you're describing failure, but you went through that entrepreneurial journey. You founded something, you created it, mm -hmm. you built value in it enough where someone else said, hey, we would like to acquire that. And yeah, maybe mistakes are made along the way. Maybe it's not the right buyer, the pr wrong price or structure, but you know, those things are flexible. And so many of our fellow founders have been in your shoes, in my shoes, that I, what I like about your show is you're digging into all different types of entrepreneurs trying to kind of upscale every founder's knowledge about the pieces of entrepreneurship to mm -hmm. see failures, to see successes, to uh, hopefully create a better path forward. For us, we really focus on this one area where we think it just happens to be the big black box, right? Of, of how do you actually sell a business? So, you know, let's, you packed in a lot in that beginning. And I, I'd love to jump back just to, you know, your first exit, you built websites, you got one of your resellers, it sounds like, decided, hey, let's buy this. Can you tell me how did, did they approach you and, and how did you come to that kind of price and structure that maybe wasn't ideal, but how did you figure that out? What had been happening was we had a, we had a bunch of our own clients, but this one IT services firm, this was, you know, by this point it was mid nineties. So before some of the craziness that happened in the late nineties with the web blog, but in the space of early internet, it was getting really, it was hot. It was one of the first hot waves of the internet, except, you know, in hindsight, it was teeny comparison, but they were selling huge amounts of work to large companies and they were turning around and pretty much having us do the work for it. They had a very thin layer between us. What had happened is they came to the realization that, oh, they didn't know how to hire the strange group of people I had pretty much taken off the street <laughs> and trained in how to do yeah. this. I, mean, I literally had three bartenders, two baristas. I had a uh, cell phone salesperson was my head designer. I mean, we talk about just building a crazy team. And we were good because no one knew at that point. 
But they realized that, oh, if we had this team and just paid them salaries, it would be cheaper than the per hour because we were working 100-hour weeks, and they thought they could save money. What I didn't realize is they were so – they had other issues, which, as I kind of said, <laughs> came into the fore really quickly after this. So they started saying, well, what are your plans for this and all this? They said they wanted to help me. And literally the first time I said, sure, that'd be interesting. They started saying, well, we could invest in you. We could do. And the moment I said that could be interesting, it all came about them buying me. Hindsight is a little hard, but I kind of feel that I was a mark right from the beginning because <laughs> I had no idea. And huh, this was, yeah. these guys had been around for a while. They were growing too fast. They had had a good business. And, you know, in hindsight, yeah, you look, and you're like, okay, they had been running a couple of million dollar IT services firm for about 15 years through the early, you know, land networks and all that. And, you know, just dating myself, you know, crazily. But all of a sudden, this web, they were growing incredibly much and all pretty much on the work that my team was able to do for them. They mm -hmm. went past their structures. They went through all this. So they made me an offer for, they were like, well, what are you looking for? And I'm like, well, I hope to make a million dollars off this. You know, I'm, I was 24 at the time, almost 25, a million dollar. Yeah. I, the Mike Myers scene, you know, where that's exactly how I felt. I was like, what's the biggest number I could think this should ever be? <laughs> and yeah, they offered it to me. They also said a bunch of things about how we'll help you. We'll take care of it. Let's keep this. Yeah. You know, we don't want anyone to know clients could get upset, you know, whatever it was, the reasoning, they had some strange stories that I believe I no clue. Yeah. And that was a fun experience realizing I had, you know, and they blew up too. So it wasn't like, they were running off to you know the beaches on my money, but it was an interesting experience. You know, try to say I learned from it, but it really was ten plus years later that those experiences came into the fore again as I had a new company. Let me jump back. Let me jump back a second, AJ, because, mm. you know, your first story is not uncommon because a lot of founders, they'll find success in a strategic partnership, right? Mm -hmm. It helps them grow that business. They get to know that partner really well over this period of time. And so a lot of times it makes sense for that strategic mm -hmm. partner, particularly if they're much bigger to say, Hey, instead of building out this division, which clearly in IT services, web development is becoming an increasingly important component to the to their client base uh, so yeah. why not go out and buy the the company that they know and they work so well with so all of that makes a ton of sense and i think you know our fellow founders are going to find themselves in that position and i love inbound interest coming from strategic partnerships so you know they ask you what do you think it's worth and yes a, entrepreneurs coming out of the gates, they've got this kind of fixed number. But with that $1 million, when that buyer says, yeah, we can make that work. Okay. So everything's good to that point. But what do you think you could have done to say, all right, how do I secure that this is the right buyer? This amount of money is actually going to hit my pocket because it sounds like they took over the operation and you were going to be paid over time. Is that correct? Yeah. And I've recently, I've been about a year and a half now at pursuing my own acquisitions podcasts, some yep. smaller things, and now looking for a larger company. One of the best phrases I've heard that now makes so much sense, and I'm going to keep saying the word hindsight because almost a lot of my learning is hindsight here, is your number, our terms. And mm -hmm. I think... The concept is so much around the focus of the number when selling, you know, as a seller, the number, the number, number, when the reality is the deal terms are so much more important. It's just, it's not what we talk about as entrepreneurs in general. When you talk about exits, you talk about the number, you talk about, you know, the cash or 
maybe equity or you know the types of things, but you don't talk about really what the specifics of the terms are. So I know definitely there it's everything from getting real advice to even really what was I really hoping to get out of selling other than I knew I had grown too fast. I knew I didn't have an infrastructure. I was driving myself crazy chasing my team to do more hours for a client. But if I had better understanding of what I was trying to do and then a better understanding of what it meant to be bought, I think that learning of what is possible and what has so changed, I mean, we are talking scarily enough. I was about to say 20 plus years. It's almost 30 years. I am so dating myself here. No, we're in the same boat. We're in the same boat, right? We we have (laughs) right now we have the luxury of looking back and, and frankly, really appreciate you willing to share that, you know, quote unquote failure, because I think a lot of us can, can relate to that, you know, price versus, versus terms. And frankly, if you've never done this before, Inbound interest can be feel in- incredibly complimentary and empowering, mm-hmm. but if you don't have the right people around you, those terms are really going to come by, back to bite you every time. So, you know, let's jump to the second one because what mm-hmm. I what I understand about that one is, you know, you're looking for product market fit, and that business maybe doesn't quite find it, but you've built technology that your one of your vendors is finding. Whoa, this is this is really valuable. And so how does that one come about? You, are you guys getting ready to throw in the towel and, and the vendor says, hey, this is really interesting. What do you want for it? Can so, you describe that one? Yeah. So long story short, you know, my friend had this concept and he went away and I created the road show. We were going to raise money, but we didn't quite. But what we did do was this one vendor was going to give us Huge line of credit on early Wi-Fi, you know, connections, and because we were all stuff that's pretty common now, but we were doing some things that just was like a year or so early. Yeah, you know, we had developed some ways using some software and some other things to use consumer Wi-Fi's and create sort of a mesh, mesh-like. It wasn't mesh, but it was mesh-like before. Once again, stuff that makes no sense now because it just does, but the time was magic. We thought everyone would want to be able to go sit in the local cafe and be able to pay X dollars per month because Wi-Fi's didn't have network, you know, Wi-Fi except for like two in the whole of New York City at the time, didn't have that. So we thought it would be so cool if we just blanketed neighborhoods with this and even at home, you could just log in. Well, we learned literally within a month that landlords were not going to give us anything except for super expensive real estate for putting our teeny boxes. We thought, oh, we had these boxes that just needed a plug. We thought, oh, we could get it for a fraction of the cell towers, you know, antennas they had on their things. And no, we couldn't. Everyone wanted the same exact thing because they were making so much money from them. So we were like, all right, we tried, we just, it's going to blow up. This vendor, though, we had shown them the software. They had been playing with it. We had even let them set up their own network using our software in their stuff. And they were like, you know, yeah, there may be something there. So that com- that literally came because we said we were going to shut down. And they were like, uh-huh. you know, we like this. How about we, can we take this? Can we use it? Can we, and it was then my friend, my friend basically saying, well, you know, he knew other developers who had given away access to software. And so he wanted some rights or he wanted to be paid for the overall rights mm-hmm. or the software usage. Thank God he had friends. So they, uh, and we thought this was amazing. We're like, all right, we'll give you a million dollars cash. And we were like, okay. It <laughs> <laughs> was quite you know, a negotiation, AJ. <laughs> three, I, literally, it's like, in high, yeah, what we found was they were in talks to be bought for, mm-hmm. 
about 20 million. They were a few million dollar hardware vendor. They had started pitching their software. That vendor turned around that bought them, built it up, put up money and made it more enterprise. And they turned around to 3Com that then turned around. And eventually that was one of the campus, you know, Campus enterprise software for access is a big deal. It just didn't exist. It literally was my friend thinking how cool it would be to be able to control multiple Wi-Fi points from that. And I, people were thinking it could be done. He just did it first. <laughs> All right. So, so AJ. All right. So these guys, you let them know that you're essentially shutting down shutting because down. the business yeah. side isn't isn't working. Yeah. And they throw out a number of a million dollars. Does that strike you as a, you know a little strange like wait, do we have, you know, a piece of gold under this this pile of mud? Like do they see something we don't? What did you think about it? Did you think about shopping it or getting advice of how to negotiate on that contract or were you saying don't lift a, don't look a gift horse in the mouth and just take the money? Yeah, I I had worked with my friend in agencies previously, and we had been very detailed and very structured and all this. But at the time, we were just like, oh, my God, someone's going to give us money. And we had come out of the dot-com. Both of us had been paper millionaires on Mm -hmm. working for – you know, agencies, you know, all this stuff. And neither one of us had been able to exit our positions in any way when the crunch came so quickly. Just, it was like, sure. day one, we have 3.5 million in options. Day five, 25 cents. That period, that yeah. weird spring of 2000. And that was even before 9-11 then came the next year and just completely decimated the industry. So, when that happened, when they came to us, both of us were literally looking for exits out of tech. Like we were doing tech and digital marketing and digital stuff pretty much because it was what little way we thought we could get money. And he was going to become a professor. I was looking at not for profits. It was like, this was just a way out. Hindsight, that lovely word, yes. Someone had this excitement. This was something that if we had put any effort into understanding that what we were selling, we would have seen that there was a lot of, even at the time, open source discussion around this type of stuff. There was, Mm -hmm. you know, what, you know, online discussions were very, very different, you know, even in 2001, 2002 compared to even 10 years ago. But there was enough chatter around this type of effort that if we had put the thought process in, but we had looked at this as we were trying to do a paid Wi-Fi network. And we even had these crazy grandiose Amtrak partnership discussions already going on, all this stuff. And we thought we had failed at the business we were doing. And we hadn't given ourselves that opportunity to pivot and reevaluate the values we had created. You can look back, right, and try to reevaluate it, and that maybe that's not particularly fair, right? You were given an opportunity mm-hmm. to have, it sounds like, a real professional outcome for your friend as well, not just a financial outcome, yeah. positive financial outcome for the two of you. So, yeah, congratulations on getting that done. It just it reminds me of one of my exits. It was our first one where we were approached and you know the product was actually very successful and the acquirer was the main licensor of the technology. And for us, if we had just known that they were about to sell an enormous division of a multi-billion dollar company, it would have allowed us to hold out, right? And so it sounds similar in that once you guys were acquired, they now had the little wrapper around the software that drove value for them and they were able to package that and sell it. And so it's maybe it's not that the million dollar number could have gone up, but maybe if, if you knew some of that information, you might say, oh, wow, I want to be part of that ride. And maybe there's that yes. kind of second bite of the apple. I, and again, I really, I'm not picking 
on what could have been done better. It's just for our fellow founders, you know, you really do need to step back and evaluate what is a value here? Why are they offering this on a company that we seemingly think is a failure? So um, it, it's an incredible yeah. story, right? And now your partner yeah. works at Cisco, right? So they yeah. have taken that career yeah. step by step back. by step. Well, yep. he kind of came back as, after having you know gone to other consulting and then literally becoming professor, now working and leading up a good portion of the security structure behind that. So yep. it is really funny just yeah, how it went. But I think, you know, and I know this jumps the gun a little bit because you wanted me to say what is the biggest thing. I've learned, and this is the hardest thing, because the way a lot of conversation around how to define your why, I think most entrepreneurs, not all, and this is why I get so fascinated by having so many, but I know, like myself, many entrepreneurs do this because we're trying to figure out a way to make a living or to do something or not to work for the man. Yeah, we're doing it in reaction. Very, you know, even the most impressive companies, I think a lot of times start because they don't want to do X. So they try find an, a Y to do. Now, that's all nice and good. But when you don't have a deeper why you are doing something beyond just not to do something, you end up being more reactive than a company that is built, or at least an entrepreneur who builds there, the reason around the why. Now, I get very frustrated, or definitely from my past, and even to this day, so much of the conversation then around why, and this is touchy-feely, it's, oh, you do this, you sit there, you write the paragraph, or you pay a consultant a bunch of money, and... What I've learned a lot to get to that why is, look, it's just a lot of directional incremental work over a period of time. It doesn't matter where you start with the why. As long as you continuously refine and directionally move it, you will get a better result. And that's what so impressed me by talking with so many entrepreneurs, that to be able to get to a good exit you really need to start with the why you're even doing this business. And that puts you in the position to then understand, oh, maybe there's value. It gives you more flexibility as situations, you know, like you were saying, so they were about to sell. Someone came and just made something that was way too good yeah, I, you know, I love that topic. I mean, we continue to yeah. to hit on it in that it it's is as entrepreneurs, I like the the way you put it, it's reactive instead of potentially being active. If you have your why, right? The purpose of what you're doing, then you do get more active in what mm -hmm. you're trying to do. And I think you constantly have to go back and say, you know, am I being true to my vision, my, my why? Because I, mm -hmm. I think a lot of times as founders, we can deviate because we start chasing money, right? Oh, oh wait, I can make a bunch of money over there and that mm -hmm. let, lets me uh, make payroll this month. Or, uh, you know, somebody else convinces you that a different division of the business could be much more lucrative. But I think we find success by following what is really true to our mission and establishing that mission is really tough right? as an entrepreneur. Yeah. I think some of us that have had previous successes have the luxury of starting from that why position as opposed to, I need to make money today, right? Because I'm mm -hmm. essentially unhirable. I need to figure out how to make money. So I, it's a fascinating subject and I love your podcast for that reason allowing others who have had successes and failures to chime in and say, how did they get there? What are the lessons that they learned to make progress? And when you can consolidate that, we can make entrepreneurs better. So if you don't mind, I don't want to overlook um, mm -hmm. your last exit. Gonna just laugh as a quick aside to the why is make sure that you break both the concept of don't focus just on the business why, but also your entrepreneurial why. Because, as I just was about to fall into, it is too easy, and I did with the JAR group, you know, my digital agency, digit, we were focused on 
strategically developing acquisition channels for our clients, basically paid search, media, social, SEO, stuff. Customer acquisition. Customer acquisition, but very strategic and very data-driven, very analytics. We're doing analytics early. But what I fell into the trap before I tell about the exit is it got to a point where my friends would laugh at me. They would ask me how I was doing, and I'd say, well, the company just did this or this or that. And and they'd be like, and you? And I'm like, oh, yeah, we had a good day. I did not. There was no differentiation in my head between the jar and me. There was one. And yeah, unpacking that is a lot of fun shrink time. But (laughs) two is just the limiting of that. Because as things started happening with, with the potential of exits of what I was hoping for and all that, everything that got cold mingled and ego and many other things came in. We had been growing so incredibly fast that um, we had one of our clients started, we had a regional agency, and we became uh, tracked, kind of, and I hear it's called different thing, but one of the large, hold- a smaller division of a large advertising holding company basically asked to see our books in exchange for them giving us conflict clients. So we became a conflict agency. And that's just when a large agency has some big client and a competitor of their big client comes around. They want to take the work, but they can't. So they would hand it off to us and they would get a cut of it. But also in exchange, they got to see our books and decide if they were going to buy us. (laughs) Another fun thing I learned after the fact that it's like, oh, this is typical agency. This is how it works. And I'm like, okay, so you (laughs) gave everything away. (laughs) Things that you don't have to do in hindsight. I thought, you know, and I had this goal, you know, pick a number. I had some of the things I had learned what's the great book unfortunately i only read afterwards which was built to sell some of that was around some of the comments and some of the learnings were kind of discussed but they were usually focused on much larger business we were in that million and and i did not realize the difference between sde and ibida at the time Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. we were probably a couple of million sde but we were being held around or we were being discussed at that just below 1 million EBITDA, you know, because of all the other expenses and ego and software and all those other fun things I was trying to build at the same time. Um, All was going well. And I thought I was on that lovely eight figure exit path within some time of the discussions when I allowed the concentration of my client tell to really increase to the point where my whale was a significant part of my business, but even more importantly, they were funding the capabilities of a lot of my other clients. So like the higher end services as I was trying to become more strategic and higher up, there's this hierarchy of agency capabilities. And I was on this growth path in my head to become a super strategic agency Super, that's a yeah, technical term, super strategic. But I lost the whale, lost a significant amount of business, had to restructure the company, got rid of a lot of high-end people, lost a lot of the, almost immediately, the strategic interest, restructured a much more tactical capability focus, and sort of slowly regrew but lost my passion completely i was burnt i was this and it was just that we had had one very very profitable business unit uh that was over profitable right from the beginning and the team that was involved in it i had been giving profit sharing and was going to get a piece of the exit they got very frustrated when they felt i had lost track of the ball band let you know they had started having visions of their piece of the exit on you know the strategic capability so they came to me with an offer to buy it they had some one of the 
private equity folks that had been part of the other deal for a private overall private one of the individuals was help with had started a conversation and friendship with them was going to help them and i felt like i didn't have a choice at the time mm-hmm. it was either loses completely because they just walk and then mm-hmm. try and sue them for it i got very very lucky in that because i was burnt and i was going to be willing to just toss in the yeah. keys because they were also not as sophisticated they offered me what felt like a really bad you know a long-term earnout, but with you know percentage of stuff the great thing was because they were so dedicated to the capability i ended up making so much more than really what like that one point they had made me an offer that I was going to accept that was just below seven figures. But because I kind of hesitated and I didn't take what they felt would have been a really nice deal, they their counter was what they thought was a worse it was his earnout. And we kind of fell into that in negotiations. But because we the way it got structured, I just got lucky that they ended up making so much more money mm-hmm. once they removed it from everything and it didn't i just got like i said i just got lucky in that but it Good was not it took a year for me to realize how lucky you know because for the first year i just felt i had been knifed in the back Can we, AJ, let's jump back because you mentioned SDE and EBITDA, right? Mm -hmm. So SDE for our listeners, I'm sure many people know is seller discretionary earnings, right? And both of those terms, SDE and EBITDA are really measures of cash flow in order to value a business. And then really the difference with the SDE is that you are adding back the uh, CEO or owner's salary. And and you're presuming that those companies are bought by other single owners, mm-hmm. right, who are going to go and run that business. So that free cash flow becomes potentially their salary. And whereas larger businesses, you don't necessarily add that, uh, that owner's salary back. There has to be a president or a manager yeah. of that business. They might re- right-size that salary. But I think it's an important uh, discussion and element to share with our founders founders because that comment SDE, and I didn't know what that was five years ago. And yeah. people throw out these acronyms, right? And just so, so th- those are the definitions. And maybe we'll put something in the, in the show notes that give you a, a little bit more. What's interesting on your cash versus earnout, right? What I'm really hearing is you're doing a lot of this on your own. You're, in your three companies, you have built mm-hmm. value that a strategic partner has seen value in. And the struggle has been, right, like, okay, how do we uh, come together on not just what a purchase price is, but what a structure uh, should look like for your for your for these acquisitions, and and so you're saying that you got lucky because you fell into an earnout as opposed to taking a low cash offer. And I would just encourage people when you have the right representation, right? You have somebody in that investment banker seat or M and A advisor seat who knows your acquirer really really well. They know that oh, it, on your second exit, they're going to sell again, right? They're positioning to go to market. They've had inbound interest. We have this card to play. Mm-hmm. That gets you the terms or the price that you want. You know, in in your last one, there was clearly a division that was making a lot of money for you, and it was valuable for somebody else. And you may have fallen into that earnout, but it's not just that you accept an earnout. Those levers of value that are being created on the other side, you got to have some control over. You can't just trust that they're going to drive that yeah. value um, without you. So whether you got you know, lucky or not, I commend you for being able to put this all together yourself. I would just say, you know, it's, it's, that's not for the faint of heart. I, I wish you had somebody by your side that did this day, yeah. in, day in and day out in new choirs. Oh, yeah. And this is where, yeah, just to use you as an example, you know, exit wise, there was the beginning, since this is about 10 years ago, there was the beginning of investment bankers coming down the niche, you know, in agencies and stuff, but, you know, in multiple ones, 
But at the time, there was still this sort of like, we don't talk to companies not making 10 million. We don't talk mm-hmm. to ones that are making a couple million or, you know, the EBITDA, this, if there was any type of confusion. Now, I mean, I've, and I've had some interesting discussions around micro PE. You know, mm-hmm. There is a wealth of information and I believe there's a wealth of opportunity on a business concept. So I think the idea that when you are building something now and you realize you may not be trying to get, or you may not be going to your big picture, your BHAG, you can still look at your assets and look what you have and see if there are components that can be monetized or valued at different pieces and that gives you so much more flexibility about how you plan, you know, because you can talk to, you know, exit wise and get a better understanding where back in the day, you know, they didn't want to talk to you unless one, you were going to pay them a huge amount of money or two, you were so big, they knew they could make a huge amount of money. That has changed so much in just 10 years. Yep. So I'm very encouraged with what's happening today, how the M&A market has evolved, because if you have a small business or, frankly, a product that's going to sell for under a million bucks, there are great places now that you can post that and, and hope that buyers will see and value. If you have a business where you're experiencing inbound interest, a strategic partner or whoever is interested in buying your business, there is now really a way to access great talent that can help you evaluate that opportunity, mm-hmm. right? I think that the the business broker world and the M&A advisor world, world has really kind of stepped up its game and the investment banking world with inbound interest, knowing that a, a buyer actually is there, they can bring that level of $100 million expertise down below 10 million bucks to close deals. And, and frankly, we've done those and we've had these absolute home runs, grand slam home runs, particularly in the earnout situations that you've described. And it's such a good feeling to, to turn what could be, you know, a nice little win to, for a founder yeah. to generational wealth. So yeah, I appreciate you sharing all of that. I'd love to jump to the decision for you. You sell that mm-hmm. last business and now you're looking for maybe your next thing. You're not going to sit on the yeah. sidelines. You're still a young guy and you go out and buy a podcast that you are clearly excited about the content and you see it that it's it's slowing down or shutting down and you want a piece. Can you tell me why and then how you did that? Okay. So right around the time, right before COVID, I had been doing some fractional CMO. I'm on the board of a couple of companies, um, advisor to a bunch more. And I was realized I had been falling to the trap of like, okay, I'm just selling my time. You know, it was fun, this, I got to play. I had very little responsibility other than to sound intelligent um, every once in a while. When I was like, all right, let's build something new. I wasn't going to build a new agency, but I was thinking, you know, productized services were getting hot and all this. So one of the things we talked about doing to build up was to start a podcast, I started talking to, in one of my business groups, I'm in Dynamite Circle. I started talking with some of the people and one guy who was doing podcast production or early, because he was still trying to figure it out himself, (laughs) uh, was saying, well, you know, we had talked about, and the cost for about a year, we realized was going to be about 20, give or take, thousand. He said, but I did hear this guy is selling a podcast that already talks to I said I wanted to target you know, high six, low seven figure entrepreneurs on their journey. Da, 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 you know. And he said, well, I do know this one guy who's selling and he pretty much talks to people who want to build businesses beyond eight figures. We had a couple of talks and just for the fun, the seller was like, you know, I always wanted to uh, own some Bitcoin. And I was like, Done. Yeah, I laugh because it was like it was only 10k at the time, and then it like by the time we finished the deal, it was like 30k before dropping again. So it was like, okay, that was so simple. There was some craziness in the transaction, not from him, seller was great, but from our partner doing some of the things I knew from website, but like holding assets or not transferring assets or putting assets in their name during the transfer period. 
So it's mm-hmm. like, okay, the stupid things you learn, you know, from yes. that thing kind of small one. But it was more just to start building an audience during that period, an audience and then sell a service during that period. I really got into um, Walker Dayable's uh, Buy Then Grow. And it was like a book I'd literally just been carrying around on various trips saying I was going to read on the trip for like a year and a half. And like I finally did one day just on, I remember I, I was on a, one of those cross trainers and I was like, okay, let me just, open. and I was like, did not stop reading for about four hours. And it like just made so much logical sense. I had actually hired a few smaller teams during the growth of Jar Group, the agency I had, and had so much value from that during the time that it made logical sense. So I started figuring out if I was going to acquire what it was going to be. Got into the whole, you know, took a while, but learned about the SBA loans and all that, the ability to get government funding here in the U.S., not funding, but at least get backing on loans to acquire a company sure, and move from there. So that all happened. You know, it was like, okay, this is cool to buy. Oh, my God, there's a whole world around this. And as I talked a little bit on the podcast, that world is so much bigger than what I understood it to be just 10 years ago of buying and selling of assets, business assets. Yeah. 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 It's, it's incredible that kind of burgeoning entrepreneurial class via acquisition, right? That there's so many ways now and structures to go out and buy small businesses. The whole Mm -hmm. kind of search fund industry is, is remarkable. Um, super competitive, really hard to find good businesses to buy. But, uh, yeah, something that we watch really, really closely because frankly, we can sell to independent sponsors or we can help our founders sell. So evaluating those guys, it's a, its own game and, um, it's not an easy thing to do. Yeah. So AJ, this is this has been fantastic. Let let's try to finish up with maybe two things. One, what is the most important thing that you've learned, not just through your entrepreneurial career, but the access that you have to our fellow founders through your podcast that you can share with our listeners um, that could be you know impactful as, as they're looking to build something that they could sell someday. One of the things I've learned so much is that. A lot of successful entrepreneurs will talk about sort of, well, of course this happened or this or that. But when you truly sit and break down, there's no magic sauce other than a deliberate approach to an ongoing effort. That incremental progress directionally correct. It's the time, you know, I've heard it called putting in the reps you know, or mm-hmm. the overnight success that takes 10 years in the making, mm-hmm. you know, it is that look, there will be a gazillion stories about the person who puts a piece of code up and then the next day is offered a billion dollars. God bless yeah. them. I hope the best for them. For the vast majority, 99.999% of us, the only real path to any type of success is putting in the work over a long period of time and staying focus directionally on the opportunity that's i think that deliberateness is really the key because yes having a big why having a mission doing all these big things that people talk about is great and all that but none of us can do it from day one Mm -hmm. it is incremental it is iterative and is consistent. Finding the structures that work for you. There are EOS, there's scaling up, there's OKRs, there's a gazillion how to do things, but finding out whatever it is to make that work for you is the way to get the success to then be able to have really good conversations with people like Todd in exit wise in my mind. <laughs> it's like Thanks, you want to be in a position of strength or at least a position of comfort when you do think to exit because as I can it's a very teeny violin I get to play, but it was not 
none of my experiences were positive in the experience. It was only positive in hindsight and time and the realization of what luck I did have in having them. But I would much prefer in future efforts to be in a position where I am controlling my destiny. AJ, I think that's great advice, right? You can start with the why so you have the passion and and really the ability to give that 110% every single day because it really moves you what you're doing. But you got to execute on a process day in and day out. And I love it. We hear it over and over and over. Yeah, we were an overnight success five years later, right? Because they executed and they stayed focused. That is awesome. Day in and day out. It's great, great advice. You know, listen, I love uh, Beyond Eight Figures as a podcast. I think you're giving so much back, probably more than you even know. And I really encourage people to go and listen to that. Can you just finish up with one last question? Is there anyone that you would like to thank that really contributed to your personal and professional success so far? Wow. (laughs) So funny because I just saw this, just the meme around the Snoop Dogg. It's the people around, yeah, the people who've been around me. It's like my brother who has been part part and parcel of so many different businesses. Yeah, you know, my spouse, my children, you know, it's then like the friends I've had both for long or just as just over the years. So yeah, you know, rather than one specific person, yeah, you know, like I do think it is the people around you. For yeah. me, it is the amount of people who've heard me go, uh, you know, and the amount of people yeah. who go, okay, your er is kind of not that er, you know, in the picture. It's just, you know, for me. And being able to have people around you, whoever they are, who will listen to your situation and will be able to understand it, I think has made so much more of a difference as I've been able to move past the things I've done and try and do new things moving forward. So sorry if I sidestepped it without giving a specific person, but it's they, perfect. It is exactly the people you t- are around you are so much important. AJ, it's perfect, right? It's it's you're thanking your personal community, and I think it is so valuable and necessary for founders who are going to go start a business to know that they have people to lean on, people that understand what they're doing, and even those that don't understand but are going to be there emotionally to support us. Starting that business, growing that business, the mountains we climb, the valleys you fall into, right? Having that support system is incredible, and I even bring that to the exit that exit process, it is never, ever easy. You're talking about six months to a year to sell a business. And so we really encourage our founders to have that support system around them, some close family members, because it is a little bit more of a private process to sell a business, but you need that emotional support. So really, thank you, AJ. This has been awesome. I've learned a ton and I will continue to learn from your podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks again for listening to the Cashing Out Podcast. For more founder exit stories, please subscribe to the Cashing Out Podcast on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And please remember, ExitWise.com and the Cashing Out Podcast are for entertainment purposes only. This should not be relied upon as the basis for investment decisions.